And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. Eagle Whistler. Staple self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the savvy Lisa Wolf. In this hour, we'll present a 1943 classic radio episode of The Great Gildersleeve starring Hal Perry. But first, it's Name That Tune. Lisa Wolf Cullen will play short clips from popular songs. And a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named Troy and I will try to name that Tom Petty song, right? That's right. We've got Troy on the phone from Minnesota. Hello, Troy. Hi, Troy. Hi, how are you? Uh, how are you guys doing this evening? We're great. We're- how are you, Troy? Not bad. I've right. been uh, well, enjoying the uh, radio show so far. So. Uh, Excellent. Well, it should be even a little bit better. We're glad that you called in and glad that you made it through. This is all about Tom Petty. He was the lead vocalist and guitarist of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, which was formed in 1976. And he died of an accidental drug overdose in October of 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know and love so many of his songs, so we will celebrate them tonight. Right, how's this going to work? Um, it's going to work that I will play a clip from a Tom Petty song, and as soon as you recognize the title, just shout it out, and I've got my uh, sight set on uh, Troy for this one. Troy, okay, you, you good with the rules? We just shout it out as soon as we know the title. Sounds like a I winner. I just said All that. Right. Okay. I Here just we wanted go. to be perfectly clear. Oh, I think we're clear, aren't we, Troy? I think we're good. <laughs> yep. Because okay. Lisa's been drinking Roma wines tonight, and I just want to make sure Carl she doesn't mess up. just likes to repeat everything I say. He thinks it sounds better when She's, he says it. He's like, hey, it's He's Troy. wrong. I'm drinking a little bit of Roma wines over He's here. He's wrong. <laughs> All right. Here's the first song. Um, it goes back to 1989. Free falling. Yes, free falling. That's exactly right. Way to go, Troy. This is from the album Full Moon River. It was also featured in the film Jerry Maguire. Was it? Uh, Yep, and in the Sopranos, uh, some of the Sopranos episodes. Yeah? Yep, season two. You had me at hello. (laughs) Yep. Great tune. Great one. All right, Troy's on the board. All right, this next song was released in 1985. Uh, I believe it, uh, don't stop. come around here no yes, more. Yes, he's got it. <laughs> Carl is like stumped here. That is exactly right. The title is Don't Come Around Here No More. This was written by Tom Petty, and it was released in 85 as the lead single from his album, Southern accents. 
Don't come, come around, around here no more. <laughs> Way to go, Troy. I think we got the right caller. What do you think, Troy? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> All right, this next song was released in 1981. My favorite. Oh, I believe this is the uh, Waiting is the yes, Hardest Part. Yes, 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 yes. It's called The Waiting, and it's from the album Hard Promises, and it was number 19 on the charts. I'm getting whitewashed over yes, here. You Troy are. has got me three to nothing. Troy, I am happy. Oh, man. Here it is. The Waiting is the Hardest Part. Troy. All right, we're gonna keep going, Troy. Here we go. Maybe Me Troy. Too. Maybe Troy was one of the heartbreakers. Maybe, Were you? Maybe he was one of the you know one of the guitar players. Maybe he players just is a heartbreaker. Maybe. <laughs> no, no, I no, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, All right, I gotta get one here. Let's oh, see. Well, Troy, let's just not let that happen, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Nin- <laughs> Nineteen eighty. Here it is. <laughs> Carl looks confused. Um, um, oh, wait a minute. This is a Refugee. Yes! Refugee! <laughs> oh, darn! I knew this one. This is Refugee, released in 1980 from their album Damn the Torpedoes, ah. number 15 on the chart. I know this one. Here it is. You know, this guy, Tom Petty, he had some, he had a lot of hits. hits. He had a lot of hits. But I will tell you, Troy, that Carl mentioned uh, right before we started that he really was a big fan of Tom Petty. And he knows all the songs, so he felt like he was going to do really well. I I thought I would. So I'm so happy that you called in, just letting you know. Four to nothing here. (laughs) All right, next song released. Getting cream. (laughs) 1989. Oh, I won't back down. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely right. I won't back down. This is from his first solo album, Full Moon River, reached number... I'm sorry, Full Moon Fever, reached at number 12. And won't back down. So it's All five right. to nothing. So here's the last one. Guess uh, what? It's a Tom Petty song. I can't even tie. <laughs> okay. Uh, 1982. Let's do this, Troy. You better watch what you say. Uh, you got lucky. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm so happy. This is from the album Long After Dark, number 20 on the charts, 1982. You, know, you got lucky. Here's the only thing, Troy. <laughs> so there's all, I always try to find the silver lining, right? 
in everything. Sure. Okay? Are you? <laughs> and so I was so sure that I was going to do great at this because I'm a big Tom Petty fan that if Lisa would have bet me, I would have said, I'll bet, I'll, I'll bet you, right, that I'm going to get, I'm going to win or I'm going to get most of them right. Sure, you so, would have. Absolutely. I didn't bet Lisa, so I didn't lose any money. So that's, that's the silver lining. Right, but you just lost me. a little, you know, a little piece of your soul there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't lose well, maybe, money. Maybe you are a, a little a confidence call. Yeah, I, well, you know, I, you're right because I Knock him down a few pegs, I Trey. love Tom Petty so much that I thought I for sure would win. Right. I didn't get any. That's right. Can you imagine if she would have said, all right, you're not, whoever calls is going to get all of them, you're not going to get any. I'd be like, I'll give you odds, 100 to 1. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> so that's the silver lining, my Fantastic, friend. Fantastic, Troy. Great Way job. It's great Troy. to have you on the on the air with us. Wow. Wow. Sure. All right. Yeah, well, uh, I'm going to send you. Me. You're welcome. It was great having you. I'm going to send you a four-CD set of the Twilight Zone radio dramas for uh, you playing the game and doing so great. Um, and call back good. again, okay? Call back again. Give me a chance to to get one right at least. Uh, next or not. Time. Or sure. not. <laughs> have a great one, Troy. Thank you, buddy. You too. You guys have a nice evening. Thanks, Bye-bye. you too. When we come back, it's the Great Gildersleeve starring Hal Perry. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Man, I got creamed by Troy there. He creamed me. He creamed you. He, I mean, like, I didn't even have a chance. Well, we got the right caller on the phone. And I am a, I mean, I know Tom Petty. I, I mean, I have all do. his records. Well, not records anymore. <laughs> I have his CDs. I'm a huge Tom Petty. Yeah. Tom, what did I say? Fetty? Tom Petty uh, fan. I think you might be uh, having to too many fit. sips of wine over there. I'm going to that ro- <laughs> robo-wise over there. Um, way to go, Troy. Right. Man, he was great. All right. You know who else is great? The great, great Gildersleeve. Gildersleeve. Hal Perry stars as Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve on here. And, uh, you know, uh, this was radio's first spinoff. We've talked about it before. Gildersleeve was a character on Fibber McGee and Molly. And a very popular character. And um, the writers of the show just thought, hey, this is perfect. Let's let's have two shows. We have Fibber McGee and Molly, and let's have another show, The Great Gildersleeve. And that's exactly what they did. They spun out that that character into his own show. And the, um, the character of Gildersleeve moved from Wistful Vista to a new town, Summerfield, and set about to raising his nephew and niece, they were orphans, and he ra- so he was this you know single dad really raising these kids, and he had a maid named Birdie, and he had friends of course, and then he became the town water commissioner, and his whole it was kind of interesting because the whole s- series, which was on many many years, he never got married, but he was quite the uh, eligible bachelor. He had lots of girlfriends on the show, um, never settled down though, and then that moved to television. So there was a TV series as well. The TV series, not so good, Lisa. But the radio, fantastic. Let's go back to September 26, 1943. One of his girlfriends, Leela, is back in town. Here's part one of The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. (laughs) 
Cheese Company will also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night. Present each week at this time, Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore. Let's see what's happening to the great Gildersleeve. Well, tonight our hero has taken another step forward in his public career in Summerfield. He's been elected to fill a vacancy on the school board. And having attended his first meeting, he and Judge Hooker are escorting Miss Goodwin, the grammar school principal, to her home. Well, it's been so nice of you gentlemen to see me home. The pleasure, Miss Goodwin, was all ours. You're sure I couldn't persuade you to come in for a moment? Why, I Well, think... the judge has to be getting home, I'm afraid. Busy day tomorrow, eh, Judge? Well, I don't know if you... Yes, the law is a stern mistress, a stern mistress. All those briefs to read, decisions to hand down, bills to collect. Not much time for play, is there, Judge? No, the law's demands are pretty heavy. But as it happens... So if you don't mind, Miss Goodwin, I think perhaps we'd better say goodnight. Perhaps another time? Well, now, wait a minute. I don't know about you, Gildy, but personally, I should be delighted another to... Another time, perhaps, Judge. <laughs> All right, I can take a hint. I was beginning to wonder. Miss Goodwin, this has been most pleasant. I enjoyed your story so much, Judge. You must tell me more sometime. Yeah. Well, one has many amusing experiences in the law. I remember one particular case involving litigation over a dog. Another time, Judge. <laughs> oh, quite so, quite so. Good night, Miss Goodwin. Good night, Judge Hooker. Good night, Judge. Good night. Oh, Gildy. What is it, Judge? Did I tell you that Leela Ransom is arriving tomorrow? Yes, you did. Several times. Now, good night. Good night. <laughs> I'm sorry you haven't time to come in, Mr. Gildersleeve. Won't you at least sit down here on the porch for a moment? Oh, thank you. Uh, just for a moment. <laughs> you know, I envy you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Me? Uh, why would anybody envy me? I envy you your career. If I were a man, I can't think of anything that would be more exciting and more rewarding than a career of public service. Well, mine isn't much of a career, just water commissioner. Oh, but... Of course, you... the department did operate at a profit last year for the first time. <laughs> yes, and that's only the beginning. It's only a stepping stone. Oh, you think so? I'm sure of it. Why, just think, already you're a member of the school board. That's quite an honor, you know. Yeah. Gonna have to be some changes there, too. Last year, the water department. This year, the school board. Next year? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? With the right guidance and encouragement, there's no telling how far you might go. Uh, Miss Goodwin. Yes, Mr. Gildersleeve. You're a woman. You've been around. You've had experience. Let's just say that I'm a woman. <laughs> Well, I'd like to ask your advice. Do you feel that marriage helps a man's career or hinders it? Oh, I think it's a great help to it, definitely. After all, nearly every great man in history has had a woman behind him. Well, I was asking this advice on behalf of a friend. Oh, this is a friend. Yes, a friend. Well, I've known him for quite a long time, too. He's a... Well, he happens to be in public office, too. Only in another town. I see... Not married. No, that's the point. He happens to be about my age, and he lives alone eh, with his niece and nephew. <laughs> eh, he was wondering whether he ought to get married. 
You mean he's uh, met someone? Oh, yes. He's taken quite a fancy to a certain young lady who moved to this town he lives in. Oh. Well, tell me, what is she like? Oh, well, she's, uh... Is she attractive? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, she interests me, this, um friend of your friends. Uh, tell me more about her. Well, she's young. Uh, not too young, but just about right. Yes, go on. The only thing is, she happens to be a widow. Oh. Yes, they were very close there for a while, as I understand it. But then she left town. Now she's coming back, and the question is, well, should he or shouldn't he? <sighs> Mr. Gildersleeve, I wonder if your friend has ever read a book called Of Human Bondage. Well, he's a pretty busy fellow. I don't think he gets time to do much reading. <laughs> you recall it yourself, though, of course. Oh, yes, yes, fine book. <laughs> and so true to life. Yeah, I must read it again. Uh, but about my You friend... remember it was the story of a man, a really splendid man, who fell in love with a girl who was beneath him, and how she dragged him down and ruined his career. Say, didn't they make a movie of it? Oh, yes, with Betty Davis. Come to think of it, my friend saw it. <laughs> <laughs> then you, uh, you might just read remind him of it. I'll do that. What he should ask himself is, can this woman really give him the things he wants in a wife? Is she fitted intellectually to be a suitable partner to him as he goes on to higher things? Well, I don't know that she's so much on intellect, but then my friend is very broad-minded. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I think he might be wise to keep their relationship on a, on a platonic basis for a while. Platonic basis? Yes, he hasn't tried that. <laughs> yes, at least until he's sure. Of course, I'm speaking only as a woman, but you asked my opinion, and there it is. Miss Goodwin, I'll do that. I'll tell my friend they ought to be more platonic. That might solve a lot of things. Yes. And now, if you'll excuse me, I have a rather early day tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I've kept you too late. I don't know how to thank you. And my friend doesn't know how to thank you either. <laughs> Not at all, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, Miss Goodwin, before I go... Yes? I'll tell you a secret if you won't tell anybody. A secret? Yes. I haven't any friend. The friend is me. Why, Mr. Gildersleeve! Yeah, good night. <laughs> Thank you, Leroy. And you? Get him. Your usual self, I see. Marjorie, have you got a kiss for your old uncle this fine and glorious morning? Of course I have. Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Look at your cheek. <laughs> oh, here, let me wipe it off. Marjorie, I've spoken to you about that. Oh, but Uncle Darling, all the kids use lipstick. I know, I don't expect to be obeyed, but I do think you might ration yourself a little. <laughs> That's nothing. You ought to see Wally Hoff after they've been to the movies together. He looks like he's got scarlet fever. <laughs> Leroy, that's not true. Oh, yeah, look at her blush. Oh. You, you made that up. No, Leroy. He just made that up to be funny. Now, children, let's not start the day with any arguments. It's a fine morning, and besides, I have some good news for you. Anyway, I wouldn't kiss Wally Hoff if he were the last man on earth. Oh, yeah? Then what are you always hanging around with him for? If you two would listen a moment... Because I happen to like the way he plays piano. Is there anything wrong with that? A likely story. Can a, can a man and woman just be friends, for goodness sake? Of course they can. Leroy, eat your prunes. I ate them. Then eat something else. <laughs> and stop teasing your sister. 
She says her friendship with Wally is platonic. I, for one, am prepared to take her word for it. Thank you, Uncle Mort. Platonic? What's that? Platonic? Well, it comes from the Greek word, uh... uh... Well, there was this old Greek named Plato. Uh, a historian, wasn't he, Marjorie? Philosopher. Well, a philosopher, too. Anyway, he was a great authority on, uh, Greek. <laughs> so that's where we get the word platonic. Oh, yeah. But what does it mean? Eh? <laughs> well, it means when a man and a woman are friends. Uh, that is, it means, uh, uh, what would you say it means, Marjorie? Well, it means... It means no monkey business. Now eat your breakfast. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Gilsey. Oh, good morning, Bertie. You can take this dish if you want. I'm through. Yes, sir. Here's a bill, Mr. Gilsey. Bill? What's this? The cleaner. He finally brought your pants back. What pants? The ones you spilled the tomato surprise on the lap of. Oh, well, it's about time. By the way, Bertie, no more paper plates. No, sir. Picnic or no picnic, you understand? I ain't bought a one, Mr. Gilsey. Not since the tomato surprise. Good. Not me. Not anymore. Not after you told me. No, sir. Good. Picnic or no picnic, I ain't buying no paper plates, and that's fine. <laughs> Bertie, another thing. Tell the cleaner to submit his bills monthly hereafter. Monthly? Yes. Tell him I expect to be a very busy man from now on. I don't want to be pestered with a lot of odds and ends of bills. Just send me one, one a month. Yeah. Do you understand? Yes, sir. But, Mr. Gilsey... Yes, Bertie? The man's waiting out there for his money. Let him wait. I waited three weeks for my pants. <laughs> Why do you expect to be so busy, Uncle Moore? Well, it might just possibly interest you children to know that your uncle was elected to the school board last night. You were? Leroy, did you hear that? Uncle Moore's been elected to the school board. Isn't that wonderful? How much does it pay? It's... <laughs> <laughs> How much does it pay, Lisa? That's, That's always he... my first question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're listening to the Great Gildersleeve. There's a reason why they called him the Great Gildersleeve, because he was great. I love this series, and my brother Vince can't stand this series, you know? Well, maybe he just says that because you love it. Like he says, I like listening to your show, Carl, but when you play the Great Gildersleeve, I turn it on. But I can't understand it because I love this show. We always have people like that. You know, everybody's got their preferences. It's yeah, okay. I guess. We're listening guess. to uh, September 26th, 1943 episode. We'll get back to it after this short break. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of the radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour holiday Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. The digital links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities whenever you'd like. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. 
Yeah, you know, Adam West right there just said it. He said it best. The best in classic radio. That's what we're all about. We are all about quality entertainment, family-friendly entertainment, and the best sound quality. I have uh, spent 40 years licensing these classic radio shows from the owners and estates, like George Burns and uh, the Jack Benny estate and so many others, Abbott and Costello estate. This particular show we're listening to, if you listen, it's like right off the, it's right off the disc. And we're all about quality with what we play on the air here, and especially with what we provide to our classic radio club members. Now, we have a club. We started it three or almost four years ago now, and it's a really great club. It's called the Classic Radio Club. Go uh, visit uh, the website, classicradioclub.com. And every single month, I'll choose 10 of the greatest quality shows. So it sounds like this Gildersleeve show, or even better. And we, um, we send them out to people on five CDs in a collector case. Or if they don't want CDs, if our members don't want CDs, we will send them via digital download in their email. There's also a booklet that we put together that we spend a lot of time writing the, uh, the liner notes on every show very detailed who the cast members are, the original broadcast date. We also find a photo from that era. Sometimes it's actually them behind the microphones doing the show, like with Hal Perry. You know, on this particular episode, we would have a picture of him at the NBC studios by the microphone. And we put that in the booklet as well. So we really go way, way out. We do a really great job. And we have a bunch of people that work on this, including Mike and Carl uh, Carl Shadow, and then uh, John, who does the duplication. I mean, we have some really great, talented people that work on this. And uh, everyone gets these shows every single month. You also get the full podcast of our program, Hollywood 360, as part of your membership. You get that sent to you as part of the membership. So there's a lot of great things. And you'll never get a duplicate show. And you'll and, and if you get the links, the digital download links, they never expire. And this makes a great gift. And uh, Lisa and I were talking about this last week. You know, Christmas is right around the corner, Hanukkah also. And this makes such a great gift because every single month, the person you give this to will remember that, oh, you know, my daughter or my grandfather or whoever got me this gift. It's a great gift. So uh, hopefully you'll get it for yourself or give a uh, membership to a, to a, a, a relative, friend. right? Friend or relative, right, Lisa? Lisa gets these via digital download. I sure do. And Mike gets the CD sets. Yes, he does. And so do I. <laughs> <laughs> but folks, uh, check it all out. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. You get a lot for not a lot of money. It's true. ClassicRadioClub.com. All right, let's listen now to the conclusion of this very funny and entertaining episode of The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Leroy, it doesn't pay anything. The position is purely honorary. You mean you don't do anything? Of course we do things. We do a great deal. What? Well, we meet from time to time. How often? As often as necessary. Uh, what do you do? Well, we... How do I know? We pass on things. We make suggestions. As a matter of fact, I believe we even hire the teachers. Can you fire them, too? Leroy, I know what you're thinking, and it won't work. <laughs> thinking anything, Unc. There'll be no special favors for you. You'll work just as hard as anybody, young man, and even harder. Have you done your homework for today? Yes. Have you practiced your music? Bertie was dusting the piano. If 
<laughs> well, go practice. Okay. From now on, we're going to have things done on the dot around here. I'm not going to have time for any more nonsense. Good. If I have to listen to much more of that. I'll go, on. It's the postman. Let Bertie go. You stick to your lessons. See if you can improve a little. I'm doing all right. You're just barely holding your own. Uh, just put it on the table, Bertie. My goodness, the postmark's from Savannah, Georgia. Uh-oh. Well, who do I know in Savannah, Georgia? <laughs> I wonder. Uh, uh, Mr. Gillsleeve, didn't Miss Ransom come from Savannah, Georgia? Uh, that I couldn't say, Bertie. Just leave it there, will you? Yes, sir. If it's from her, I won't read it. You'd like me to open it and find out? No. Because it's from her, I'm just not interested, that's all. I made up my mind that now on... Everything between us is going to be strictly platonic. Strictly. I think you're right. Maybe the best thing to do is burn it. Uh, now, hold on, my dear. It might not be from her, either. Come to think of it, I believe there was a classmate of mine in college who used to come from Savannah. Yeah. Smith, his name was, or something like that. Uh, yeah, Smith. Uh, George Smith. Uh, Butch, we used to call him. Yeah. Might be from Butch. Uh, give it here, my dear. Just as I thought, Butch. <laughs> Let's see what he says. My darling Throckmorton, just a line to say that I'm coming back to Summerfield. I may even get there before this does. What does he say? Huh? Um, says he may be coming to town one of these days. Oh, really? Uh, let's see. He goes on here. I don't suppose you can ever really forgive poor Leela for what she has done to you. I don't ask that. All I ask is that if we should chance to meet anywhere, you give me your hand and believe that I am, as ever, your friend, Leela. Good old Butch. By George, I'll be glad to see him again. back to the great Gildersleeve. He hasn't been able to get his mind on his work today for some reason, possibly because of a sleepless night spent tossing from pillow to pillow and post to post. Determined not to lie awake again tonight, he drops in at Peavy's drugstore in mid-afternoon. Well, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Why don't you put a stopper on that door, Peavy, so it won't bang? You must be a little on edge. You never noticed it before. <laughs> How long has it been that way? Every summer for 23 years? Yes, sir, 1920 was the year I bought that screen door. Never mind, P.B. Before that, I, I just had flypaper. <laughs> Let it go. Have you got a good, reliable sleeping powder? Oh, insomnia? No, I want it for a hangnail. <laughs> well, now, I had one customer who used to take sleeping powders because he liked the taste, but he overdid it. Did it kill him? No, but he became quite a somnambulist. So let's not rush into this. Uh, P.B., I'll bet you never rushed in anything in your whole life. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I've done some pretty hasty things in my time. Oh, you have? Yes, to mention only one, that's Mrs. P.B. <laughs> the minute I laid eyes on her, at that time she was Miss Horsefall, they... <laughs> 
The minute I laid eyes on her, I said to myself, there's the girl I'm going to marry. You did? Mm-hmm. Of course, I didn't ask her till five years later. <laughs> Peavy. Uh, about the sleeping powders, Mr. Gildersleeve, uh, maybe a simple home remedy would be just as effective. Have you tried hot milk? I want something stronger. I can't stand another night like last night. Mm, have you had a number of them, or was this the first? This was the first, but I wanted to be the last. The uh, reason I ask is a lot of insomnia is in the mind, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, anything been worrying you? No. You're not nervous about anything? No. You haven't had any bad news lately? No. PB, I came here for a sedative. If I want to be psychoanalyzed, I'll go to a chiropractor. <laughs> You see something? Wait a minute, Peavy. Quiet. Didn't I hear a train? Oh, the 419, I guess. Yeah, right on time. 419? Oh, I've got to go. Expecting someone on it? No, that is not exactly. I just like trains. Uh, what do you do? Go down to the station and wave at them? <laughs> I'm not going to the station, Peavy. I'm going home. Well, you won't find the train there. So I know. <laughs> where you can practice? Well, if you'd like to move the piano upstairs. All right. Well, you want me to practice, don't you? I suppose so. What are you looking at, Unc? Something going on next door? No, nothing at all. Well, then what are you staring out the window for? You watching for somebody? You just watch your little music. So... Walking up and down? That piece would make anybody nervous. <laughs> Why don't you learn to play something good? Something by Bach or Beethoven? Who wrote that anyway? Bach. Must have been. <laughs> must have been one of his bad days. Then. What do you want, Unc? Something more like this? Leroy. That'll conclude your piano lesson for today, young man. Hooray! Now, leave me alone, will you? I'm going to try to get a little nap here on the couch before dinner. Okay, Unc. Sweet dreams. Hey! What? There's a taxi pulling up. No, it's stopping next door. Hey, you better come and look, Unc. What goes on next door does not concern me in the least, Leroy. Besides, I've told you time and again, it's distinctly bad manners to pry into other people's business. What do you see? <laughs> Somebody's getting out. Hey, it's the old goat. You mean it's Judge Hooker. Is there anybody with him? Wait a minute. Yeah. Leroy, I asked you a question. It's her, Unc. It's Mrs. Ransom. Oh, that's all. Mrs. Ransom, huh? How does she look? They're going up the walk now. She's holding on to the judge's arm. Leroy, how does she look? I don't know. Why don't you come here and take a look for yourself? What do you think I am, a peeping Tom? 
Anyway, it's nothing to me. You better hurry. They're going inside. <laughs> Where? Oh, you missed them. Why didn't you get out of the way? Well, gosh, you don't have to knock me down. All right, if you can't keep your eyes open, make room for somebody who can. I can't stand this. What the devil is Hooker doing over there so long? Did you say something, Mr. Gillsleeve? Uh, I'm just talking to myself, Bertie. <laughs> I'm going out for a minute. But, Mr. Gillsleeve, supper's almost ready. Don't worry. I'll be back for supper. It'll be ready in five minutes. I'll be back in less than that. Uh-huh. I will, too. Uh, I've just come to a quick understanding with Leela. Get the things settled once and for all. Maybe I can get a night's sleep. Get everything straight right at the start. Well, hello, Gildy. What's the idea of hanging around here, Hooker? Don't you know when to go home? I think I do. I've seen no evidence that Mrs. Ransom is bored with my company. Where is she? She's gone upstairs to get some papers for me. Well, you might as well come in. Don't worry. I'm coming in, all right. What have you been up to all this time, anyway? Well, we had a lot of things to talk about. What, for instance? What do you care? I don't. All I want is an understanding with Leela. From now on, she and I are going to be on a strictly platonic basis. I want to make that plain to her. Oh. How is she, Horace? As beautiful as ever. Oh. What's she going to do? What are her plans? She's going to stay here. Live here. Hooker, did she say anything about me? Not that I remember. She must have said something. No. Oh, yes. She asked if you'd been lonesome during the summer. What did you say? Did you say anything about Miss... What's her name? Miss Goodwin? Shh! What would you care if you and Leela are going to be so platonic? Well, wouldn't want to make her feel bad, you old goat. If you... Oh, here she comes. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> it's Rock Martin. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah, uh, nice to see you, Leela. Can't we all sit down? Yeah, why not? I thought you were going, Judge, as soon as you got the papers. No hurry, no hurry. Yeah, like old home week, huh, Leela? Yes, Horace. Uh, here are the papers. Thank you. Uh, you're looking well, Leela. Oh, not really. But you're looking well, Throckmorton. Uh, feel pretty well. Well, <laughs> uh, rocking chair still squeaks, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes, it does. Yeah, guess I'd better be running along. Oh, must you, must Horace? You, Horace? Uh, well, <laughs> yes, I'm afraid he must. Goodbye, Judge. <laughs> Goodbye. I'll call you tomorrow, Leela. Oh, thank you. You've been a good friend to me in my time of trouble, Horace. You can count on me. Bye, Gildy. Goodbye. Good night, Horace. Good night, gracious lady. I kiss your hand, madame. Go home, Hooker. <laughs> Well? Uh, well, here we are. <laughs> Everything's so changed, isn't it? You look different, Leela. Do I? Well, I guess it's the uh, black dress. I'm in mourning, Throckmorton. It's true, then. Beauregard is... Yes. Positively? <laughs> I buried him, Throckmorton. <laughs> he was a fine man. I'm sure he was. Leela... 
I wanted to say something about our... Uh, oh, Throckmorton, you have no idea how Beauregard had changed. He was a different man. I declare he was. Well, how do you mean? He came back because he needed me. He never needed me before. Oh. And all these last few months before he... Yes, yes. He was so sweet and sympathetic and thoughtful. He was wonderful. Yes. Well, about us, Leela, I just wanted to say... I always told you Beauregard was a gentleman, Throckmorton. Yes, Leela, you always did. Uh, where did you live all summer? On my family's place down south. It's just a plantation. Was Beaure Beauregard practicing law down there? Oh, mercy, no. He wasn't doing anything. Nothing but just be sweet to me. Did he have any money? Oh, no, Beauregard never had a penny, the poor lion. But he was such a handsome man. Didn't you think he was handsome, Throckmorton? I thought he looked like a gigolo. Well... And I was right, living off your family. Throckmorton, I will not have you talk that way about Beauregard. But, Leela... No one ever understood poor Beauregard but me. No one. Now, Leela, I didn't mean... I knew the real Beauregard. No one else did. He must have been a fine man, or you wouldn't have married him, Leela. Oh, he was. He truly was. There, there, Leela. Here. Here, take my handkerchief. Oh, thank you, darling. <laughs> You're the only man in the world as thoughtful as Beauregard was. Oh, I'm not thoughtful. Oh, yes, you are. You're sweet. Uh, Leela, I want to get things settled between us. We... Oh, please, Throckmorton, if you knew what I've been through. Such a tragedy for poor Beauregard, a man who was so fond of animals. What are you talking about, Leela? Why, if he ever saw anyone mistreating a dog or a horse or a cat, he was furious. That's what made it so sad. What, Leela? Beauregard's passing. Well, how did he uh, go, Leela? He was kicked in the head by a mule. <laughs> <laughs> well, we never know where it's going to come from, do we? Just five weeks ago today. Oh, you poor girl. There, there. Have a good cry on Throckmorton's shoulder. Oh, you're so sweet. Uh, so are you. <laughs> uh, what was it you've been trying to tell me, Throckmorton? Tell you? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, well, what I was going to say, Leela, was that, uh, well, I think maybe you and I should have a more platonic relationship. Oh. Uh. What, Throckmorton? A platonic relationship. Oh, Throckmorton, five weeks is too soon for us to be thinking about things like that. <laughs> Good night, Throckmorton. Calling B-9. Listen, you better bring back that thing you borrowed. No, you get it back here tonight. Listen, don't you get tough with me. My uncle's on the school board now, and he can get you suspended. Leroy! Oh, oh hi, Unc. Wait a minute, Pig. Young man, I'll not have you using my position to bully your friends. Oh, I'm not bullying him, Unc. I'm trying to get him to bring back something. What? 
Something he borrowed. What did he borrow, Leroy? Your electric drill. My electric drill? You tell him to get it back here in five minutes or I'll have him expelled. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> program was on the direction of Claude Sweet. And this is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, inviting you to listen in again next Sunday for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. That's it, huh? No NBC chimes, no nothing? Mm-hmm. Bong, bing, bong. I just did it for you. Ken Carpenter, he was really good at, at that tool building box. things. <laughs> he was quite the carpenter, that, that, that Ken Carpenter. I think you kind of muddled that one up a bit. <laughs> I messed it all up. September 26, 1943. Well, that's because I've been drinking some of your Roma wines over there. Lightweight. Great Gildersleeve. Hope you enjoyed that time for this month in music history. And this hour is 1971 with this tune. Who is this, Carl? I just I saw the show. Broadway in Chicago. Beautiful, the musical. <laughs> Anything? Um, Diana Ross? <laughs> that this era, is, same era. This is Carol King. Oh, Carol King. This is for the 60s, a little bit before Diana Ross. No, Diana Ross was 71. I know, but this is the 60s. You said 1971. I said, Right. No, no, you're right. This song came out in 71, but I'm saying her era really you, was... She said, I'm right. Could you record that and send it to me? I can use it for my ringtone. So, Carol, you're right. Carol, you're right. Carol, feel, you're right. I Feel the Earth Move by Carol King. But she did spend most of the 60s writing songs for other artists. Um, that changed when she released Tapestry in the early 70s. And I Feel the Earth Move peaked at number one on the charts in 71. All right. Excellent. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> sure. More of Hollywood 360 coming your way. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. In our next hour, it's Frontier Gentleman, starring John Daner from 1958. He was from the Frontier, and he was quite the gentleman. Right, that makes sense. Um, We will also play Quote This. That's right. Where Lisa presents audio quotes from famous songs this time? Well, they're TV theme songs from the television shows. Yeah, and what about them? Yeah, and I'm going to do quotes from those songs, and you're going to tell me what show it, what I'm TV show say, it's from. Oh, okay. I think I can. I think I'll do all right. On I think that. you will too. All right. So that's coming your way in our next hour, and we'll also probably uh, drink some more Roma wines. Oh, for sure. Um, together. She gave me a, a plastic. Uh, <laughs> a little glass Dixie cup. Full <laughs> Roma. You get your own spit cup over she, there. <laughs> she kept. She keeps the whole gallon to herself. Gives me like a little Mike taste can, of Mike it. Mike and I share. We'll be right back. And now for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host. Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? Let's call. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade, Detective 
agency? Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> guys! 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 Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the proficient Lisa Wolf. In this hour, we'll present... (laughs) A 1958 classic radio episode of Frontier Gentlemen, good western starring John Daner. But it's time now for Quote This. Our moderator, Lisa Wolf Bacharach, will present audio quotes from popular songs from TV shows. That's right. And I'll try to guess the TV show from the quote within the song. Do I have that right? I I took my brother's in. Figured it out. That's why. Why, George, he's got why, it. Why, George, I think he's got it. Got it. I think he's got it. So these are all famous TV theme songs. I'm going to give you one line quote from the song, mm. and you tell me what television show it's from. These are all very, very popular television shows. I think you'll do really well. Okay. But I'm, sometimes I'm wrong. Are you playing a clip, or are you going to just Just a clip. A... Okay. Here we go. Here's the first clip. can turn the world on with a smile. That's all you get right there. That's all you get. That's all I get? That's what you get. One line. Um, I'm pretty sure that that's the Mary Tyler Moore show. That is the Mary Tyler Moore show. Is it? That's your line. That is just a beautiful song. I love that song. Can't you just What's picture so her? What's so beautiful about it? Because you picture Mary Tyler well, Moore Mary spinning. Tyler Moore. And she's throwing her hat up in the air, yeah. and she's a pioneer. She's yeah. a woman that all women looked up to. The show was okay. Are you kidding me? It's all right. I mean. All right. Well, we feel differently about that. <laughs> I mean, it was good. I mean, I watched it. One of my it. all-time favorites. Well, so anything with Mary Tyler Moore is way up there. Well. All right. Well, we're different. You're a girl. <laughs> that is true. Girls like the Mary Tyler Moore show. Well, I think you would, too. All right. All right. We're going to change gears. Here is your clip from the next TV theme song. If not a nonsense, be something you wish. Oh, that's, um, I think I know that. I'm pretty sure that that is, um... Square peg, Bob, Sponge Bob, Square Pants, Sponge Bob, Square Pants. That's the one. Sponge Bob, Square Pants. I like Square Peg, but okay. Sponge Bob, Square Pants, you right? You got it. Wow. I mean, cool. that, I never watched that show. I, mean, I know, but imagine. that's, again, a famous line. If nautical nonsense I mean, be something it, you wish. Right, Mike, come on, give it to me a little. I got to have some kudos oh, there. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Pretty good, right? Yes. All right. Sure. Good. I'm two for two. Okay, we're we're all counting, keeping score for you. Here's your next. You didn't plot. think I'd get that one, did you? Yes, I did think oh, you'd get okay. that one. All right. I think there's only one that you won't get. Okay. Not this one. I think you will get the next one. All right. Okay. They're creepy and they're goopy, mysterious and spooky. That's it. That's what they're you get. They're all together, Rupi. The Rupee. Adams family. <laughs> da 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 da. Bump bump. Da 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 da. That bump, is the bump. Adams family. Yeah. Great they're job. They're creepy and they're goopy. <laughs> 
They're, they're creepy and they're, they're kooky, not rupee. <laughs> they're mysterious and ooky. And spooky. Oh, all right. You're so close, though. The Adams Family. You're so close. I never really watched this show. I really, what? Yeah. Who are you? You know, I watched a few episodes of this, but I wasn't. I like the Munsters much I better. I did, too. I like the Munsters Adam's much Adam's family, better like, too. I would be, like, flip. you know, when we were kids, there was, like, four channels. Right. right? Like, had, I had channel two, 32. I had two, five, seven, nine, eleven. And 32. And 32, and sometimes right. 26. 64 sometimes. No, no. There was I no 64. So. 50. No. 50? No, that was not, later. Not when I was a kid. Two, two, five, seven, nine. Eleven and thirty-two. Eleven, thirty-two, and sometimes 26. I don't remember 26. And when, so that. For a kid, you didn't know that, you know, you thought, hey, that's a lot of channels. And we used right? to have a TV guide and we used to read it to yeah. see what was Compared on. Compared to now, it's like, I mean, come on, there's like 400 channels. But back then, there was, we had, we had some. You, uh, you watch what's on. And when the when the Adams Family was on, I was like, nah, oh, turned it. That's too bad. Watch something else. All okay. right. Well, okay. This next one, here we go. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. That is the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's exactly right. right? You're not using, oh, there's your ding. Good job. No, I did a ding on every one of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. So I've gotten every one, right? Yes, you four, have. I've gotten four out of four. That's correct. Now, the next one I think you may have a little trouble with, mm. but it's a great show, so think hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't have answers. I don't have a plan. No idea. I knew you wouldn't know that one. I don't have any clue. Are you sure? Is that some romantic uh, girly show? Um, I, It's romantic. It's not a girly show, though. You mm. want to hear it one more time, or yeah. you just don't I'll know I'll play it? it one more time. Okay. I don't have the answers. I don't have a plan. Is it like Parent Trap or something, one of the shows that you like? No, it's a series, a comedy series. Paul Reiser. Oh, um, Mad About You? Yes. But that doesn't count, right? Right. I don't get it. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> it's Mad About You? I never watched ma- I never watched well, Mad About You. You didn't watch Mad About You? No. Everybody watched Mad no, About You. No, I never you. watched it. No. Oh. I was too busy. And Helen Hunt? No. Wow, she's great, too. I didn't, I didn't, I never watched this show. Oh, it was a really good show. Was you it missed good? something. I enjoyed it. All right, clearly you did not. All right, I missed Here's that the one. last one. Let's see if you know this okay. one. Okay. Um, that's, you know, very familiar, very familiar. <laughs> I'm going to guess that it's Maud. Oh, it that's Maud? a good guess because. Or is it one of those Maud? The reason it's a good guess is because Maud was a part of this show. Okay. That's B. Arthur, right? You're talking about? Yeah. Yep. So was it, uh, I don't know then. I thought it was Maud. I don't know. It's, that's a good guess. Not correct, but a good guess. This is Golden Girls. Oh, Maybe, yeah. Yes. Well, that was a completely different show. It wasn't like a spin-off. No, it Ma- wasn't a spin-off. It just, I don't think. No, I don't. I don't uh, think it was. I don't no. think it was either. She was like a different character on Exactly. That. But again, but never guess. never watched Golden Girls. Never watched even one episode of the All Golden well, Girls. Well, we'll have to educate you. Did you? Did you watch that um, show? Not regularly, but yeah. I, I recognize the theme song is pretty famous. So, uh, Right. Well, you know All what? Right, four hey. out of six. That's, Listen, that's, you know, 66.67%. I, uh, I didn't, the two that I didn't guess are shows I never watched. So, so it doesn't really count. So you so really got, I really like got 100%. All of, so really I got all of them. Really you did. That's how I It's almost it. like you got 100 on it. You you have to grade 
me on a curve. Oh, yes, I know. Right? Very high curve. Very high. Like Either that or I give you a 66. Almost like a cliff. It's not like a curve. It's almost like a cliff. Yes. Right? I know who I'm dealing with. All right. All right. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Pretty good job there, Lisa. Yeah, pretty good job for Front you, Carl. Frontier gentlemen coming up. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, Lisa Wolf. Want to remind everyone listening that our December newsletter's coming out pretty soon. It's a good one. Lisa, what song did you write about? I, I knew you were going to ask remember? me. Remember? You know, I write so many. I'm a couple months ahead. I don't remember which one was for December, to be honest with you. Well, I wrote about Burns and Allen. Carl Shadow wrote about the Hermit's Cave. I can't remember off the top of my head right now what Martin Grahams wrote about. But uh, my brother wrote about the 1960s. And then there's the entire schedule of all the classic radio shows we're going to air in December. All kinds of other fun things. So uh, if you're not a, uh, what, you know? I do know. What? It's, oh, right, The Chain by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, The Chain. Love that song. That's the December That's song. a great song. It sure is. I had that album, Rumors, the Rumors That's album. That's right. Great one. As a kid, and I kept the cellophane on it. Well, you can learn a little bit about it in the December newsletter. Yeah, so how do you get the uh, newsletter? Well, it's really easy. Just go to our website, hollywood360radio.com. And if you go to the top of the website, you will see... That there is a, uh, what do you call it? There's a, a what do you call it? Yeah, you just put your email <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, there's a what do you call it on the top. There's a, a whatchamacallit there. What do you call it? You just put your email in and you'll uh, right away get the newsletter. So do that. All right, time for Frontier Gentlemen. John Daner starred as J.B. Kendall, reporter for the London Times. And he was... Uh, you know, he was an English journalist who roamed the turbulent times of the western United States of the late 1800s in search of newspaper stories. He was great on this. I have an episode for you now, August 10th, 1958, called A Wagon Full of Cats, Part 1 of Frontier Gentlemen. I left Cheyenne without my luggage and in company with a wild Irishman and his even wilder cargo of freight. Frontier Gentlemen Here with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. In just a moment, we will bring you the latest report from the Frontier Gentleman. Whether your marriage license is brand new or your wedding ring is worn thin over the years, you'll get a kick out of every lighthearted episode of CBS Radio's The Couple Next Door. Written by Peg Lynch, creator of Ethel and Albert, The Couple Next Door is a warm and humorous series about a young married couple. Just for the fun of it, join us on most of these same stations five days a week as Peg Lynch and Alan Bunn star as CBS Radio's The Couple Next Door. (laughs) 
starring John Daner. This is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. Cheyenne, Wyoming Territory had been good to me. And when I decided to leave, I informed the people at my hotel, packed my little bag of belongings, and dropped by Carrie Chase's office to thank him for his kindnesses. From there, I went to the stage station and made arrangements for my departure. Having several hours' wait, I took a last turn around the town. I thought I had visited all of the saloons in search of people and stories from my column in the London Times. I was wrong. I had missed Dan's bloody bucket a scant four blocks from the center of town. I shall never forget Dan, nor his bloody bucket. So you want to play dirty, do you? All right then, Mr. Dan. The man shouting was small, wearing a derby hat pulled low over shaggy eyebrows. He was holding a gigantic cat in his left arm, while with his right hand he was tugging a length of chain from beneath the folds of a swallowtail coat. He was facing a great brute of a man who was waving a broken whiskey bottle at him. Behind him, out of sight, another man was approaching with pistol butt raised. The odds against the little man were more than I could stand. Look out behind you! Oh, dear, save yourself! A saint has arrived. Oh, no, you don't blight her. Hey, you want to get in the strangers? The troops has arrived, you shilly-shally muckybuck. man seems to need a friend. You better move on or what's going to happen to him will happen to you. Oh, the devil the cat, the princess, she's jumped out of the arms. Grab her, saint. Uh, no, you won't. Oh, no, you shouldn't have done that. Uh, grab him, Chief. Grab the stranger. I'll get him. Oh. I'll get him right now. Ah, oh, you've done it, Saint, you've done it. Now grab the cat. I'll swing me chain over these two. Grab her! What? The princess, the cat, grab her, lad. Oh, who, 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 what? She's going by, clapper. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Here you go, princess. Ah! I, uh, uh, she's not friendly. Oh, all right, all right. Ah! Here now, here now, cat princess. Rotter ah! now and make friends ah! later. Ah! Ah! Stop it, I say, stop it. Ah! I've got her. I've got her. Now let's get out of here. They're beginning to come around. Run, run. Well, where? Where should we run? Out the door to me wagon. They won't never come near me chain. Now watch the cat. Don't let her get away. Now run. It's straight out with you. Now, now the cat. The cat into the box. Hurry, hurry, hurry. There you go, lovey. Hey, you come on, you higher on and humptail. Hey, you, hey, you. It's Dan. He's shooting. It's never again you'll see me, Dan, in the bloody bucket. Never. And the same to all of you, Sunday corruption. Six times a week, here at the Star's Address, you'll find that the shortest distance between two smiles is the Amos and Andy Music Hall. For one thing, there's always a sparkling tune or two to give your spirits a lift. The guest list reads like a textbook in applied astronomy. And, of course, right at the heart of all the light-hearted things that happen at the music hall are the one and only two, Amos and Andy. Tomorrow and every Monday through Saturday on most of these same stations, listen for the Amos and Andy Music Hall. The little man drove at a most fantastic rate of speed. 
I sat in silence atop the wagon seat, holding my hat down with one hand, while the other clutched the side for support. Our exit was punctuated by the princess hurling herself at my bottom side in magnificent rages, and I was thankful for the barrier of wood between us. In the bed of the wagon were numerous large crates full of cats of all sizes and colors. There seemed to be no one in pursuit, and after some minutes, the little man slowed the wagon, and without looking at me, he painfully lit a pipe. I presumed we were now somewhere in the barren area between Wyoming Territory and the Dakotas. Ah, perils. Perils of the trade, me boy. I would say. Ah, you've done a grand thing, lad. The princess there is the start of a whole new race she is. I had to have her. What? You mean the, the princess belonged to Dan? <laughs> and what did you think, huh? Then can I help you steal the cat? Oh, touch, touch. You merely laid down a blow he'll not be forgetting. But you, you said grab the cat. I thought she belonged to you. Don't let the technicalities bother you. It's a proper thing you've done. Uh, I don't understand. I supplied Cheyenne with her cats in the first place, and... I reserve the right to have access, as it were, to uh, to their progeny. I see. And if Dan pursues us, then what? Well, if me luck holds, he won't find us. And if it doesn't? Never bother trouble, me lad. Look at me, lad. Yes? You have a bit of England in you. Why? Yes, as a matter of fact. Ah, oh, me worst fears. What did you say your name was? I didn't. It, it's Kendall. J.B. Kendall. Uh, and I thought the saints had smiled. My name is Kerrigan, Shane Kerrigan. And you might as well have it straight out. I'm an Irishman. Uh, what's your business, Kendall? I write stories concerning the West for the London Times. Oh, that is a good town, London. I was there once when I was a mere boy. Good, good, good town. Too bad it's so full of the English. <laughs> Mr. Kerrigan, I'd be indebted to you if you'd tell me something about yourself for my readers. Uh, oh, no, wait a minute. Will you stop your blather, pussycats? <clears throat> it was on a bright summer morning when the birds sweetly sang on each bough that I first saw me Kathleen Mavornian as she sat a milking her cow. Ha, there. It's a miracle. Now, Kendall, uh, uh, what uh, was it you wanted to know about? Yes, this cat business of yours. I was going to ask, how does it work? Oh, very simple. I'm on my way to save Deadwood at this time. Save Deadwood? I have 62 cats, 62 furry creatures in the proper positions, and the town will be rid of its varmints in a matter of hours. And you intend to sell your cats? That I do, at $10 a head. $10? People pay $10 for them? Now, where have you been, Mr. Kendall? Do you not know that civilization rises or falls according to the number of cats in the towns and villages? Well, I just never thought of it. <laughs> the great plague in Europe was due to the shortage of cats. I suppose you're right. Of course I'm right. Well, when you get to Deadwood, just how do you plan to go about the uh, the sale of your cats? Well, I, uh, I have a staunch friend there, dear, dear Margaret. I shall make me headquarters with this lovely lady, and soon the word will spread that I have arrived with me cats. And will this, uh, this lady appreciate your coming in with all this, this baggage? Oh, it'll take a bit of doing, me boy, I don't deny that. But Miss Margaret has had an eye for Chain Carrigan these many years. Before it is done, she'll embrace me and me cats. Yeah. Well, I'd rather like to ride along, if you don't mind. Oh, tis welcome you are. 
Hey up there, little one. You've rested long enough. Here. Your horse. She seems to love her work. <laughs> that she does. Oh, twas on a bright summer morning. Oh, and the birds sweetly sang in each bow. That I first saw McCathlin. My... Uh-oh. That'll be Dan, the tenacious one. Hiya, girl. Hiya. Uh, we'll give him a run for his dust. I turned in my seat, and sure enough, it was Dan on horseback, accompanied by another rider. Mr. Kerrigan clamped his jaw on his pipe, leaned forward, and the wagon flew across the rocky ground. Is he there, Kendall? Can you still see the Hayden? Yes. He's closer. Shane. You might as well stop. Stop? Are you daft? I wouldn't suffer the devil himself. Get along then. Hurry up. Then it happened. A rock, half as big as the horse, loomed up in the road. Jane Kerrigan couldn't miss it. Look out! We're going to hit! You know, earlier we had a, a bad um, sound effects guy doing dogs. Right. And now we have bad sound effects guy doing you know, cats. Those cats sounded a little bit like the birds, you know, in the movie. Well, whoever did the sound effects. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it was the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> We're listening to Frontier Gentlemen starring John Daner. We'll have more after this short break. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of the radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood with 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. The digital links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities whenever you'd like. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right. You know what, Lisa? What, Carl? This is the time of year, right about now, in fact, um, that people are starting to listen. If they have the Cinnamon Bear shows, they're listening to them now. Like, I gave a Cinnamon Bear CD set to a friend of mine who has a young daughter, okay? And he sent me a photo of him and his daughter, him playing the first episode on Thanksgiving. Because the way it works is it's a 26-chapter story. It's the greatest children's. It's actually a Christmas story for, for people of all ages, really. It's not just kids, because I love it, and I'm an adult. Last time I checked. Eh, some of the I time. I guess that's debatable. <laughs> it's debatable. But I love the Cinnamon Bear. It's like so great. And we went to great lengths to find all of the transcription discs. I grew up listening to the Cinnamon Bear, right? In like, it sounded like this. And I still loved it. 
because it was like dubs of dubs of dubs. Right. And so then when I got into the business and I licensed the uh, the IP from the people that own it, the Glanville Heisch Estate, because Glanville Heisch wrote this um, story in 1937, wow. produced it. So what happened was, um, you know, it it, it wasn't uh, good quality. So I went through a lot of, jumped through a lot of hoops to find all 26 transcription discs because there are collectors that had, you know, this one or that one or whatever. But we were able to put the whole thing together, find all 26 uh, episodes in brilliant, and I'm talking like high fidelity sound, right? Amazing to hear all the background sound effects and the music. It was this incredible story of Judy and Jimmy Barton and how in at chapter one, their mom, they're twins, Judy and Jimmy, and their mom says, in fact, Verna Felton played the mom. You know, earlier today we had that suspense episode. Verna Felton plays the mom, and, and she says, go up to the attic and get the silver star for the top of our Christmas tree and because we're setting up the Christmas tree. So the kids go up there, and they can't find the star. And this little cinnamon bear, a little bear three inches high, um, says, oh, the crazy quilt dragon took it. And then, long story, but they go to maybe land. They try to find there's all these cliffhanger cereal. It is so great. And then at the end, Santa Claus gets involved. You know, I'm old St. Nick. He gets involved. Um, and, of course, it has a happy ending because it's a kid's story. Um, but it's just so delightful. The music is all original. Sound effects are amazing. And so this is the time of year because the way it was set up is you listen to one episode each day, Monday through Friday, from Thanksgiving, and then it ends on Christmas. Well, of course, you don't have to listen to it that way. You can listen to it. You can binge listen as uh, Netflix has uh, <laughs> right. created. But um, but I do want, but folks, if you are interested in this story and, and owning a, a pristine quality copy of the Cinnamon Bear, we do have it available. It's at our uh, ClassicRadioStore.com. So we have a website, and we haven't talked about this in a while, ClassicRadioStore.com. There's all kinds of classic radio, perfect quality, but the Cinnamon Bear is there, and this is the time of year for it. So... If you want to, uh, if you want to get all twenty-six chapters, digital download of that, go to classicradiostore.com. Thought I'd mention that because people, I, I get a lot of emails from people saying, "Are you going to play the Cinnamon Bear?" We're not going to play it on Hollywood three hundred and sixty this year, but um, but you can get the full twenty-six chapters at classicradiostore.com. All right, we're listening to an episode of Frontier Gentlemen. Um, J.B. Kendall, he was a reporter for the London Times. John Daner, at this time, was also playing Paladin on radio. He was playing Paladin on Have Gun, Will Travel. And this was another CBS Western, and he was starring in both shows. That's pretty rare, really. Mm -hmm. But 1958, radio was kind of making its, I mean, pretty much almost gone by this time. Not a lot of... um, fully dramatized radio happening in 1958. But this show was Frontier Gentlemen. So let's go back to August 10th, 1958, for the conclusion now to A Wagon Full of Cats on Frontier Gentlemen. Oh, gosh, 
Dan, do you ever see so many cats in the air at one time? There's only one cat I'm looking for. Oh, me heart, I've had it this time. Me heart can't take no more. Are you... Are you all right, Mr. Kerrigan? No, I'm dead and dying. The wagons are across my leg. I came for uh, my cat, you old goat. Where is she? Kendall, how's me horse and cat? Uh, the horse. Horse is all right, but the crates are broken and the cats are scattering. Are you listening to me? I want that cat. She was the best mouser in Cheyenne. Now, you see here. See here, Dan, whatever your name is. Oh. Can't you see this old gentleman is hurt? Now, give me a hand. We'll get the wagon off him. Now, you ought to do it, Dan. Your cat ain't worth killing, though, fella. I ain't helping nothing. It's a cat I come for, and I'm going to get. And I say you're going to help me. Here. No, no, Kendall. Ah. Let, let him go. It's me dying wish she take the cat. Dan! Dan! You can see they've all scattered to the winds. Find yours and take her. I'm going to do just that. Come on, Jake. Let's find him before she gets lost. Wait! I'll need help moving this man. Oh, no, 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 no. Are you daft? What about the princess? Well, the wagon box is still closed. Oh, good, good. What about you? Well, the kind of help I need, the likes of them can't give. Now, come on, give me a hand here. All right, I'll try. Oh, now, gee. when I lift it, you try to pull yourself out. Oh, yes, yes. Now, up. Let me do it. Oh, there. Oh. oh, Kendall, she's bent. Oh, my leg is bad. Bent. Yeah. Let me help you. Oh, may I be forgiven an Englishman keeping me. It is more important to get the cats back. Now, break out the tripe and liver. They can smell it for miles. Then whilst they're coming in, we can make our repairs and be off for Deadwood. Whatever happened to, uh, what's his name? You know who I mean. That hypertense newsman who reported every wild rumor he ever heard. Now, we don't know what happened to him, but we can tell you that reliable newsmen like Larry Lesur, Lowell Thomas, and all of their colleagues at CBS News are still very much preferred by listeners everywhere. Five nights a week, Larry Lesur and Lowell Thomas broadcast the news on most of these same stations. Interestingly enough, their consistently accurate and carefully detailed reports provide much more excitement than cheap sensationalism ever could. It was true. The tripe and liver could be smelled upwind, downwind, probably in Deadwood itself. The cats came streaming in. And with each group, I expected to see Dan and his friend, but we had seen the last of them. Mr. Kerrigan was considerably lamed by the accident, but managed to move about amazingly well. I made all the necessary repairs to the wagon and the crates, and by morning, we were underway. We finally arrived at Deadwood, which had the look of all boom towns, a long, narrow street with wooden frame structures along the sides. The dwelling of Miss Margaret turned out to be a large saloon with upstairs lodging quarters. It was called simply Maggie's Place. You're certain this is it, Mr. Kerrigan? Oh, oh. Aye, this is it. You go tell Miss Margaret. Chain Kerrigan is sick and wounded and needs lodging. All right. Lively with you now. Uh, Mister, can I help you? Why, yes, I believe you can. I think I'd like to. 
My name's Charlene. Have I seen you here before? No, I don't believe so. I'm looking for Miss Margaret. Miss Margaret? <laughs> sure you are. Hey, Maggie. Yeah? There's a fella here wants to see you. World, send him over. Don't forget me. Charlene. Mr. Mr. Uh, Kendall. Kendall. Yes. Uh, that's Maggie over there. The big fat one at the end of the bar. I'll be around if you want to buy me a drink later All on. All right, Charlene. Thank you. Max, you can change to the bad whiskey now. Nobody will know the difference. Well, hello, stranger. What can I do for you? I'm looking for a lodging. Not for... a chance, not a chance. We've been full up for weeks. Ain't you heard about the strike at Gold Run Gulch? And no, I just arrived. No, this was for a friend of mine. He's outside. You know him, Mr. Chain Kerrigan. Chain? Well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> Charlene! What? Fix up the good room for a friend of mine and hurry it up. Maggie almost cried at the sight of Chain cradled in my arms as I carried him up to the room prepared for him. There, lying back on the bed, he lifted a hand feebly toward me. Oh, Kendall, good lad. Who'd you be about bringing up me, uh, me luggage? Oh, the poor, poor man. You mean you want all... Uh, yes, 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 all of them. And, and, and don't forget the, the, the rations. It's most important, lad. Now go. Why do you bother the poor, ailing man with his trivialities now? Bring up his baggage, as he says. There's a back way, and it won't bother no one. Oh, Margaret, come to me, sir. Oh, yes, yes, love. Now, what is it? Are you sure I'm not imposing on you? Well, now, what kind of a woman do you take me for? Oh, oh Margaret, darling. It's worth the whole trip and trouble and the accident to my leg just to get back and, and look into your eyes. Go to sleep, sweetheart. And you can have your friend Kendall right here with you. Oh, no. I, I mean, uh... It'll be rather crowded here. I can find a place. Well, how can it be crowded? Two men in a big room like this? Well, maybe not. I just hate to... Uh... That's the end of it right now. I'll have another bed set in for you. <sighs> Thank you. That's very nice of you. Look at him, Mr. Kendall. Poor man has fallen asleep. And we stand here, John, in front of him. Come on, come on. Oh, uh, before you go, darling... Uh, would you be sending up four fingers of your best whiskey for my leg? Well, of course. I'll have Charlene bring it right away. You can see, Mr. Kendall, nobody understands Chain Kerrigan like I do. I guess he's told you, hasn't he? The reason he's come back to Deadwood is to marry me. Nobody saw me staggering up the back steps with crate after crate of cats. As for Chain, he busied himself drinking the liquor provided for him and instructed me to release and feed the cats. Eventually it was over and we finally got settled down, in a manner of speaking. But in the morning, the swarm had to be fed all over again. <sighs> it's uh, quite a job, isn't it? It is a labor of love, my boy. <clears throat> Did, uh, did Miss Margaret see you bring in our uh, friends in last evening? No, no, she didn't. Uh, but what do you plan to do about selling them now, crippled up the way you are? I have a plan, Kendall, a wee bit of a plan. Chain love, it's Margaret with your breakfast. Can I come in? Oh, please do, darling. Well, 
Did you sleep well? Oh! What goes on here? Get out! Get out! Now, Margaret, sir, Margaret, you've lost control of yourself. So this is the way you thank me, Jane Kerrigan. Well, you can get out, too. What? I'll not have this kind of a mess. Go on! Oh, Margaret, Margaret, come to me, side love. I'll come to your side. I'll take an axe to you. But it's my business, love, selling cats. I told you that when I was here before. Yes, yes, you told me. But I don't expect you to let him a place with them. Uh, <laughs> uh, possibly I could help in some manner. <laughs> you can, Mr. Kendall. You can open the back door for Chain Carrigan and his cat. Have you been told last year lovelier than ever when you're shouting like that? Oh, get him out. Margaret, now would you be allowing $620 to walk out the back way? I don't care how much money you... Uh... What? <clears throat> How much did you say? Sixty-two cats. Not counting the princess, of course. I could never sell her. She's my breeding stock. Sixty-two cats at ten dollars apiece. That's six hundred twenty dollars. Now, Mr. Kendall, a man with that much money could support himself and a loved one for a good long time. Now, could he not? Why, yes. I suppose he could, Mr. Kerrigan. <clears throat> Margaret, sir, have you ever thought of marriage? A woman of your beauty and accomplishments. Well, uh, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I... Uh, <clears throat> Chain, Chain, you're proposing to me, ain't you? I knew that's why you'd come back. <laughs> now, when me leg heals and I'm able to get about and sell the cats, then I can make the plans closest to me heart. Oh, Chain, I got an idea. Oh, what is it, beauty? I'll sell the cats for you. No, no, you can't mean it. Now, how would you be doing that? Why, they'll buy. They'll buy or else. Who, who'll buy? My, uh, my clientele. I have a certain power here in Deadwood, as you know, Chain, and they'll buy from me. But if it, if it wasn't for me leg, I, I, I wouldn't let you do oh, this. Oh, don't worry about your leg. By tomorrow, you'll have $620, and I'll have the preacher come by in the afternoon. Now, what do you say to that, Chain? So, huh? One thing at a time, Margaret, one thing at a time. Now, uh, uh, how would you be going about selling those cats? <laughs> That was the last I saw of Chain Kerrigan. I found a room for myself in town, lay on the bed for a moment, and, well, it was the next morning before I awoke. I rushed over to Maggie's place. Above her own sign, there was another one. It said, Cat Sale. Get yours now. On the door of the saloon itself, there was another sign saying, Closed. I knocked, and Charlene, the girl I had first met at Maggie's, came to the door. Oh, Hello, Mr. Kendall. I'm sure glad to see you this morning. But y'all better not come in. What? Why? What happened? Oh, come on. Let's walk down the street. It's about Mr. Kerrigan. Mr. Has he died or something? Worse. He's left. Oh, oh well, then. <laughs> that's good. Oh, no, it ain't. He didn't wait for the wedding and say goodbye to Maggie or nothing. Just got his wagon and left. What about his cats? She sold them all last night. Gave him over $600. Why, you never seen so many men buying cats in all your life. <laughs> How's she taking it? Oh, all right. Every time she feels bad, she counts her money again. Her money? Sure. She sold those cats for $15 a piece. Made over $300 for herself. What? <laughs> Why, that's marvelous. 
<laughs> Charlene. What? You come on with me. I'll buy you that drink I promised you. Why, Mr. Kendall. Frontier Gentlemen was produced and directed by Anthony Ellis. Tonight's script was written by Tom Hanley and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Martha Wentworth, Charlotte Lawrence, Joseph Kearns, Barney Phillips, and Harry Bartell. Join us again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentlemen. Bud Sewell speaking. You know, this is a broadcast from 1958. When you think about it, in 1958, I mean, we were, I mean, I don't want to say your age, but just a few years later, we were born, right? right? And I remember in the 60s, there was no classic radio. I mean, there was no original radio shows going on. Right. So we missed this whole era. But, but just barely. I mean, really. but when you think about it, just barely. That was my point. Right. It's like there was still some dramatic radio. Just I mean, years before you were born. I mean, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was still on in 1962. So wow. it was Suspense. That, those must have been the absolute latest. They were the latest ones. Yeah. Suspense and yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Um, I think Gunsmoke. No, I'm wrong. Gunsmoke was off the air by 62. Really, the last two dramatic radio shows were yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and Suspense. But we're talking 1962, Lisa. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but all of these radio shows, imagine people grew up listening to these radio shows. If they were born in the 30s or, you know, 40s, they grew up listening to these shows, and then they were gone. I mean, just like literally gone. And TV took over, and sure. people never looked back because they had this newfangled contraption, right? This new video version right, right. of all these shows. Like, all of these radio shows that you were listening to were now gone. Right. But, like, Red Skelton was now on TV. Jack Benny was now right. on TV. Gunsmoke was on TV. Have Gun Will Travel. All of these shows. And they just, I don't know if they just didn't even look back. They were just like, hey, well, TV. you did. You know, you looked back. Well, <laughs> but, you know, but I just truly believe that this era, the 1930s, 40s and 50s, these radio shows are so incredible. So they are worth saving. You know, they are really worth saving. So that's why I, I have dedicated my entire career yes. to to licensing and saving these shows. And I just love bringing them to your to you every single week here on Hollywood 360. So thanks for listening. All right, time now for This Month in Music History. All right, 1972. What is it, Carl? This is, uh, this is, uh, Mandy. Or no, not Mandy. <laughs> this is, uh, Brandy. Brandy. You're so close. Brandy. Though. This is Brandy. Looking glass. Yes. Huh? 
Yeah. Are you That's impressed? Right. Are you impressed? I am. So, do you know anybody named Brandy? No. Nope. Did you ever know anyone named Brandy? No. Nope. I could say the same as you. I do not and did not. But this song, Brandy, was so popular that the number of newborn girls named Brandy nearly doubled a year after the single came out. I mean, this was a big hit. Oh, sure. Big, big hit. Brandy, or you're a fine girl. It's got one of those kind of beats where once you listen to it, you can't get it out of your head. Right, we'll be singing this all the way home. You know? (laughs) All right, thanks, Lisa. Sure. More of Hollywood 360 after this break. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right. In our next hour, it's a classic radio episode of Cloak and Dagger, starring Raymond Edward Johnson going back to 1950. But first, Lisa Wolf Dillon is our lyricist for Learning the Lyrics. That's right. And we are on the letter D, D as uh-huh. in dog. So I've got three songs. They all start with the letter D. You can start uh, Um, thinking about your favorite D songs. Um, You know all these. Dynamite. Oh, is that Uh, a song? I don't know. That's a saying. How about um, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. Is that the title of it? The Witch is Dead. Or is that the first line? I'll be right back. Now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the adept Lisa Wolf. In this hour, we'll present a 1950 classic radio episode of Cloak and Dagger, starring Raymond Edward Johnson. But first, Lisa Wolf Dylan is our lyricist for learning the lyrics. Lisa will read popular song lyrics, and I'll try to guess the name of the songs while you play at home. Right, Lisa? That's right, Carl. We've got three songs that begin with the letter D. That means the title begins with the letter D, not necessarily the first line of the song. Like, All right. ding dong. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Right. So well, I always think song. of you when I hear that song. Right. The witch part or the ding dong part? Um, the witch part. Okay. 
<laughs> or both, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think of you as a ding dong. No, just a no. witch. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of witchy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'll yeah, you the, around the midnight pretty? hour. <laughs> and your little dog, too. All right, we're going to go with this first song. Mm-hmm. And the title begins with a letter D. I'm going to have to start a little bit into the song because yeah. the beginning of the song Starts would give the... it away. Oh, okay. No, I'm just going to start a few lines All in. Right. Okay? Yeah. Oh, I got a funny feeling when she walked in the room. Oh, my, as I recall, it ended much too soon. Right? She oh. was everything I dreamed she'd be. Sweet surrender. Start from the beginning. Start from, like, if I start it right at the beginning, no, no, not at the it's beginning. The fir- it'll be the title. No, just start what you just said. Say that again. Okay. You know I didn't even know her name. No, I didn't even know But her. I was never going to be the same. I don't know if I saw No, you didn't say that when you walked in well, through the room. Okay, well, I'm getting to that. Okay. <laughs> I started a little earlier this okay. time. What a very special time for me. Especially you know, I didn't even know her name, but I was yeah. never going to be the same. Right. Oh, I got a funny feeling when she walked in the room. Oh, my. As I recall, it ended much too soon. Oh, oh, isn't it? Oh, what a night. It is. But that doesn't start with a D. It's called December 1963. Oh, oh, oh OK. Good, though. Wow. Right this is Frankie Valley. December 63 or Oh, what a night. We special time for me. Like this one? As I remember I what, what a night. night. Oh, what a night. You know what? Hang on a second. December 1963. I got one. You did. You're going to get this one too. Ready? Um, Next song begins with the letter D. I have to cleanse my palate. Do you have anything to cleanse my palate? Yes, I do. Because my brain is thinking about that. (laughs) Got to clear your brain. I got to really, literally cleanse my brain palate. (laughs) Again, I'm going to skip some of the lines from the song just because. Okay. Okay. I want to be your partner. Can't you see? The music is just starting. Night is calling, and I'm falling. Mm-hmm. Fantasy could never be so killing. Night I feel calm. free. I hope that you are willing. Pick the beat up and kick your feet up. Let it lift you off the ground. Starry eyes, and love is all around us. I can take you where you want to go. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be your partner. Can't you see? The music is just starting. Night is calling, and I am falling. Mm, it sounds familiar. It doesn't it? How about the part about? It sounds um, familiar. Let it lift you off the ground. Starry eyes and love is all around us. Love is all around us. I can take you where you want to go. I could take you where you want to go. <laughs> oh. oh, oh. Do, do? Does it start with do? It does not start with do. How about, don't you want me, baby? That's a good song. Don't Don't you want me, baby? Don't you want me now? Is that it? It's not it, though. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I'm having trouble with this All one. All right, let's, let's... I didn't cleanse my brain palate. Oh, That's maybe the after this one we'll cleanse. Oh, another ballad. That's why. I don't get the ballads. What? This is no different than December 63 with Frankie Valley. This is Dance With Me by the Orleans. Why didn't you pick the one I just said? I picked this one. <laughs> this is a great song, Carl. Don't you want You know what's me, funny, baby. That's a good song, too. Whenever you say things like that, like you didn't like the song or you didn't like the Mary Tyler Moore show, I have many listeners who message and, oh. and tell me how much they do like this song and how much they do appreciate the Mary Tyler Moore this song. song is only just like, okay. Well, I liked like, it. That's like why I chose it. It's like a four. Out of five? No, out of ten. <laughs> All right. All right. Next. Next. Hang on a second. I think All right. Let me cleanse my brain palate. Hang on a second. All right. All right. Um, traveling tonight on a plane. I can see the red tail lights heading for Spain. Um, must be the clouds in my eyes. They say Spain is pretty, though I've never been. Um, he should know he's been there enough. Oh, I miss him so much. Do you still feel the pain of the scars that won't heal? <sighs> Your eyes have died. Got to be another ballad. She picked three ballads, Mike. <laughs> this is a great song. It's not a fast song. It's a medium song. <laughs> Mike, when she sends these to you, you should say, Carl doesn't want ballads. <laughs> he, he should, something he should call through and decide. I don't know these slow songs. You do know this song. Keep going. Okay, the problem is this, the title is all over the place. I'm trying to skip it. I'm going to start, listen. Is traveling tonight on a plane. I can see the red tail lights heading for Spain. Oh, I can see him waving goodbye. Must be the clouds in my eyes. Must be the clouds in my eyes. Right, you know that line. Yeah. Must be the clouds in my right. eyes. Right, Exactly. Must be the clouds in my Must eyes. Must be the clouds in my eyes. You know eyes. That, that line. Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of another line you know. He should know. He's been there enough. Oh, I miss him so much. My brother, you are older than me. Oh, yeah. Do you, you still feel older. the pain? Do you still feel the pain? Of the scars that won't heal. Scars. Your eyes have died. Mm-hmm. But you see more than I. You see more than I. Uh-huh. Oh. You're a star in the face of, the sky. face of the sky. My brother, you are older than me. Are Do you still feel the pain? Do you still feel the <laughs> pain? Of the scars that won't heal. It sounds so familiar. Your eyes I'm have right died. there. Like I just. But you see more than I. You see more than I. You're a star in the face of the sky. I don't know. Oh, yes, you do. I know it, but I can't get it. Come on. I just can't. It's, I needed. Must a, be the clouds. I needed a longer nap. Must be the clouds, clouds within in my, my eyes. eyes. Yes. Oh, oh, uh, Daniel. Yes! Daniel. Oh, Daniel. 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 <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. It's Daniel. Daniel is traveling tonight on the plane. Elton John. It's Elton John. I was about to give up, Lisa. I know. I, I wasn't letting you. Goodbye. Oh, it looks like Daniel. 
Here's your line right here. Must be the clouds in my eyes. It's a great song, even if it's not a rock and roll. You know, when I used to tour with Elton John, (laughs) he would once in a while let me sing this song. Did he? Did you sing it with him or did you sing it by yourself? Solo. Oh, great. Did he play the piano for you then while you sang? Yeah. Did you wear some cool glasses? Yep. Just like Elton. What color were they? Um, turquoise. <laughs> did you need a teleprompter? I did. You wore turquoise glasses? Yeah. Wow. Do you have any photos from that day? Yes. Oh, good. I can't wait to see them. Let's post some. <laughs> Never seen you in turquoise glasses so before. Much. Whoa. Daniel, my brother, you are older than me. Do you still feel the pain? All right, great job, Lisa. Great job, Carl. All right, really good. Really good. Really good. All right. (laughs) I've redeemed myself. Thank you. Cloak and Dagger coming up after a short break. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Cloak and Dagger was an espionage drama. Came to radio in 1950. And it told stories of the OSS. People would that were in the OSS, they came back to America. And uh, they dramatized these very, very interesting tales. Real true tales of, uh, of people that were part of the Office of Strategic Services. And it was broadcast from New York. was a terrific series. This is called The Eyes of Buddha from July 2nd, 1950, Part 1 of Cloak and Dagger. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines, knowing you may never return alive? What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS, ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Black Warfare, Espionage, International Intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Today's adventure, The Eyes of Buddha, concerning an American OSS agent who went deep into enemy territory to enlist the help of a nation which had declared war on the United States, is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. In 1944, the tiny kingdom of Siam was officially at war with the United States. So there I was in March of that year in an official Siamese plane on my way to ask Siamese help in rescuing an American flyer from the Japanese. Sound crazy? (laughs) You ain't heard nothing yet. The Siamese character beside me had received his master's degree at Yale and his Ph.D. at Harvard. Major Laudol Prayadipak. I decided to call him Louis. 
Look down, Lieutenant Berman, out of your window. Yeah? What about it? In those green forests, as you may know, still roam the ancient peacocks and the sacred elephants of Siam. Louis, I may as well tell you right now, there are four things I know definitely about your country. What are these, my friend? The Siamese twins were named Eng and Chang. Siamese cats have blue eyes. Somebody wrote a book called Anna and the King of Siam. And what is the fourth? Tan Yak Dai Fuying Mai. The one line I know of your language which translated means... Do, do you, you want, want to, to meet, meet a girl? A girl? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, rest easy. There will be no need for you to speak more of the language. Must a ghost have need of words? Once we arrive at Bangkok, you will be spirited from one place to another, my friend, as a ghost. Fasten your seatbelt. Kindly fasten your seatbelt. Ah. We are coming into the Dunhuang airfield. Well, so far, this has been too easy. From Rangoon to a secret airport in Siam, where you picked me up in this plane, and here we are in Bangkok. Is this another hidden field, Louis? No, not exactly. What do you mean, not exactly? Oh, I should say there are about 800 Japs on hand about the field. Huh? Fasten your seatbelt, Lieutenant Berman. <laughs> The official Siamese plane with the sacred white elephant painted on the side slid right across the field and taxied past hundreds of Jap soldiers guarding the runway. The hangar door at the west side of the field opened. The ground crew rolled the plane in. Then the door slid closed again as if we had been swallowed up. Louis and I climbed out of the plane. Uh, Lieutenant Berman, this is Lum. He will drive us to the OSS hideout in Bangkok, where you will meet the regent of Siam, the leader of the underground here. How do you do, Lum? I do very well. Uh, Lum suggests we wait a few minutes before leaving. Oh, is anything wrong? I suggest you wait here. I will return, tell you when it is safe to leave. The two Japanese officials in car right outside. We waited. It was sweltering hot in there. And by the time Lum came back a few minutes later, my shirt was ready for the ringer. Officer's gone now. Is safe. We will leave by side door. Come quickly. Car is outside. You see, Lieutenant Berman, thus far your mission is proceeding successfully. Better not talk too soon, Louis. We haven't reached the hideout yet. Perhaps you are right. Ah, proceed, Lum. drove us right through the downtown district of Bangkok toward the palace which is being used as underground headquarters. As we drove through the streets, I could see Jap pillboxes in the internment camp, and everywhere around us, walking the streets, guns in their holsters, were Japanese. Then we turned at a busy intersection, and it happened. Lum! Lum, what is it? What is wrong with that horn? I do not know, Major. I do not know. It's stuck. Oh, will not stop. Oh, great. Everybody's turning around to look at us. Can't you do anything about that? A, sh 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 a little horn. A little horn. Quiet. Talking to it isn't going to help, Lum. Stop and yank out the wires. A little horn. Sh 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 do not blow. Do not blow. This is very unfortunate. My friend, you have a gift for understatement. Lum, Lum, we are causing too much attention. Do as the American says. A horn, please. Shh, shh, shh. I beg of you, quiet. 
nice little horn, a pretty little horn. Lum, stop the car and pull out the wires. Oh, there's no need, Major. It has stopped by itself. All I had to do was speak nicely to it. Oh, my aching back. This is quite a place. Marble floors, winding staircase, just like the movies. Wait till I tell my wife about this. The palace set back only a little way from the street has been underground headquarters for two years. At all hours of the day, Japanese soldiers march up and down in front of it. Yet none of them know what is going on inside. Well, you can be sure of one thing, Louis. What is that, Lieutenant? I won't tell him. (laughs) After you, my friend. The servants have prepared dinner for us. You must be hungry. We will eat now. Only a couple of miles away were camps where Allied prisoners lived on little more than bread and water. Yet here I was, an American, right under the noses of the nips, consuming a dinner that began and ended with iced beer and included roast duck and freshwater prawns, salad, curried beef, dried fish, topped off with large bowls of fresh bananas and pieces of sumo, the Siamese improvement on grapefruit. Ah, have you had enough to eat, Lieutenant? Would you care for something else? Oh, no, no thanks, Louis. I've had more than enough. Bye. Coffee. Coffee. Hey, that, uh... What's his name, Bai? He isn't very talkative, is he? A good choice, we feel, for a servant in underground headquarters. He hears nothing and repeats less. Bai is a deaf mute. Uh, tell me, Lieutenant Berman, what did you do before the war? Me? Oh, I was a stun pilot. I barnstormed all over the country in old crates and jennies, anything that had wings. I got a trunk full of tin medals for almost getting my neck busted. Oh, I see. Now, look, Louis, I admire good pilots. And one of General Chennault's hot flyers is a prisoner of the Japs. Somewhere around here. If anybody's going to get him out, I'd like to be the one to try it. We will see to it that you get your chance, then. When is the regent coming? I'm anxious to meet him. Oh, he will be here. After midnight. After midnight? Yes, you see, this is the evening of the Japanese admiral's birthday. It was necessary for the regent of Siam to be there. Out of uh, friendliness, of course. About 12.30, he arrived. He was dressed elegantly in a white silk coat and white pongee trousers. On his head was a delicately embroidered turban. This was Luang Pradit Manudarm, regent of Siam and head of the Siamese underground. I trust you will forgive me for being delayed. Oh, uh, that's all right. The Japanese admiral would never have forgiven me for leaving his party. Major, some more brandy for the lieutenant. Of course. Uh, How about your mission? Well, several months ago, one of General Chennault's best pilots crashed on the Burma-Siam frontier. Other members of his flight reported that they saw the plane go down, settle in the spreading banyan tree. But they didn't see it burn. So the presumption is... He is still alive, somewhere in Siam. Yes, that's it. 
Major, in the morning, drive the lieutenant to Colonel Sangwan at Camp Punjara. Yes, Excellency. I think Colonel Sangwan will be in a position to get the information you are after. Well, that's great. Uh, Your Excellency, this may be a little out of order, but... Yes? Don't you ever get the feeling you're walking around with your head in a noose? <laughs> a very good question. Well put. I imagine I am a great mystery to the Americans of the OSS. No doubt they feel mystery shrouding our whole people. After all, you are supposedly an ally of the Japs. Supposedly. We are an independent nation, Lieutenant. Our people are proud and freedom-loving. Siam sits in the heart of Southeast Asia, an inscrutable Buddha. The Japanese overran our borders and from our capital in Bangkok declared war on the United States. The green flames of the jungle consumed us. So the Buddha sits, arms folded on its bronze breast, its face expressionless. But the eyes of the Buddha wink. Is that it? The eyes wink, Lieutenant. Its ears are tuned to the enemy and the jeweled lips whisper. There are 50,000 Japanese here in Siam, my friend. We will continue to wait and watch and listen until they are driven out. That's some dramatic music right there, Lisa. The eyes of Buddha, cloak and dagger. I have something that reminds me of a Buddha. My belly. I have a Buddha, a Buddha belly. belly. Yeah. July 2nd, 1950. Raymond Edward Johnson starring. Enjoying this show? This drama? Well, Cloak if you stop talking, I could hear it. I'm only <laughs> hearing bits and pieces. <laughs> I do talk a lot, don't yes, I? Yes, you do. When these shows are playing. I don't even know how you sleep at night. Like, do you actually sleep? I talk stop to myself talking? and then I fall asleep. Good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi, Carl Amari here. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, Suspense, and Burns and Allen, consider becoming a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows in superior sound quality, along with historical liner notes and photos of their radio stars. The 10 shows I'll send you will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. Members also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour holiday Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Lisa Wolf and I co-host. The digital links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 and Radio Rarities whenever you'd like. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. And when you join the Classic Radio Club, there's no long-term commitment. You can cancel at any time. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, this is Hollywood 360. We're listening to Cloak and Dagger, a good broadcast from 1950. Espionage drama starring a lot of actors. There is a, this is a huge cast. You have um, Raymond Edward Johnson, Martin Balsam. You have... Um, Alistair McBain, you have Carl Weber, but he spells it with a K, so it doesn't even count. Right. Um, Grant Richards, let's see who else is in this thing. Uh, Jerry Jarrett, that's his name, Jerry Jarrett. Everett Sloan, Ralph Bell, 
Barry Kroger, Eileen Heckert. There's a lot of people in this cast. And this was a big must have been a big budget episode here. The Eyes of Buddha from July 2nd, 1950. Here's the conclusion now to Cloak and Dagger. The next morning, Louis and I, with Lum driving, set out for Camp Punjara. Ever since my arrival in Bangkok, I had the feeling I was sitting on a powder keg that was liable to go off any minute. Driving through the streets in broad daylight didn't make me feel any better. But I figured the Siamese knew what they were doing. This time, nothing went wrong with the horn, but something else happened that gave me quite a turn. It sounds fantastic, and it was, but it really happened. A Jap MP directing traffic held up his hand, and the official car we were riding in stopped. I didn't like stopping. I felt better while we were on the move. Then all of a sudden, I saw a Jap soldier looking curiously in the window, staring at my occidental face. We looked at each other for a few seconds. Neither of us said a word. Then the car moved on. Louis, Louis, that Jap soldier, he saw me. I know. Even with his civilian hat and his shirt over my uniform, he couldn't have mistaken me for a Siamese. No doubt. But if he saw me, Louis... Put your mind at ease, my friend. I'm sure he doesn't believe what he thought he saw. And if later he convinces himself it was true and goes to his commanding officer, he will lose face for telling so ludicrous a tale. You mean they won't believe him? <laughs> Come now, Lieutenant Berman. What would an American be doing in Japanese-occupied Siam, driving along the streets in full daylight? Ridiculous, don't you think? You have come to the right place, Lieutenant Berman. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Colonel Sangwan. I have heard of the flyer you seek. I know the prison camp in which he is now being held. Hey, that's great. When do we start? And not so fast, Lieutenant. We huh? must make plans first. This is not a matter to be undertaken lightly. Come. We will have dinner first, and then we will discuss the problem. Dinner? Colonel Sang Wan, I've been wined and dined ever since I got to Bangkok, but I haven't done a thing. Ah, my wife Tara. We will dine. Then we will talk further. Does my English surprise you, Lieutenant Berman? I was educated in America. I am a graduate of Wellesley College. It was not your English which made the lieutenant observe you with such interest, my dear. It is your appearance. Am I not correct, Lieutenant? <laughs> You're very correct, Colonel. You have an extremely attractive wife. <laughs> Thank you both. My husband's lavish compliments embarrass me occasionally. I suppose they are to be expected after only two months of marriage. Two months? Well, congratulations. It is I who am to be congratulated. A more coffee, Lieutenant? Colonel Sangwan! Colonel Sangwan! What is it, my dad? Louis, what happened? A car. Japanese Colonel Kishinami with many soldiers. Colonel Kishinami? What could he want here? He requests an audience with you. Lieutenant... There's no time to lose. That screen, quickly. Go behind it and pray to the great Buddha he does not stay around. And you, Major, sit here in the lieutenant's place. Pretend it was your place. Quickly, quickly. Ah! 
Nobody had to tell me to be quick. I got behind the bamboo screen and Louis slid into my chair at the table. Then he stood up immediately with Sangwan as Kishinami came in, a great ornate sword swinging from his side. He stood so close to me I could have reached out and touched that sword. Would you care for some coffee, Colonel Kishinami? Uh, no, thank you. Colonel Sangwan, I am here on official business. Ah, yes, Colonel Kishinami. What can I do to help you? We have discovered a clandestine airfield in this territory. Surely it is not so close to this camp without your knowledge. Airfield? Oh, certainly, certainly. It was constructed as a temporary emergency landing field some years ago. It has been infrequently used. Our observation shows it to be in excellent condition and indicates constant activity. I cannot believe this. Let me accompany you and see this airfield. Taba, my dear, you will forgive me? Of course. I will be here. It happened so fast I couldn't believe my eyes. As the Siamese colonel turned to say goodbye to his wife, that treacherous Jap sword was whipped out, and Sangwan was very neatly decapitated. The heading Sangwan must have been the signal for the Jap soldiers in the room to take out their guns. You but before they could do anything with him, Taba sprung a Kishan army and with a meat knife from the table, stabbed him through the heart. A nip soldier tried to get at her, but Louis got him first. Then that powder keg I'd been sitting on really went off. their leader killed, they did not have much heart left for the fight. They are gone now. But, Louis, I don't understand it. Nor I. What brought on the assassination of the colonel? That phony errand he came on was just an excuse to get in. It is possible that the order has come for the total subjugation of our people by the Japanese. If true, it is open war from now on. Hmm. Will there be another attack tonight, you think? If so, we are armed and ready. There is nothing to do but wait. What about Tavar? Is there anything I can do for her? No. She is one of my kind. It is best to let me console her, Lieutenant. Thank you on her behalf for your kindness. Married two months. What a lousy shame. Go to your quarters. We will wait. Nothing further occurred that night, but none of us slept. In the morning, a big black official limousine drove up. It was the Regent of Siam. I have received an apology from the Japanese government for the incident last night. They are quite adept at apologizing. My husband has been killed, and you call it an incident, Excellency? Yeah, how about that? It is my belief that the order for the subjugation of Siam had been issued by the Japanese high command and rescinded because they did not believe the time appropriate. But what about last night, Excellency? Evidently, through some oversight or the difficulties of communication... Colonel Kishinami had not been warned that the plan was off. It is my belief that all will be quiet now for a while. Shall we sit quietly once more and wait for them to attack us again while our backs are turned? There are many of us in the underground. Tava is right. Let us attack them. Let me avenge my husband. Now listen, listen, wait a minute. You've played a waiting game so far. Wait a while longer. I know the fuse is burning close, but wait. That time is past, Lieutenant Any Berman. open act on your part will really make the Japs crack down. Right now, Siam is the best listening post the Allies have in the East. 
Believe me, Washington knows what it's doing. You're a better help that way. The lieutenant is right. We will continue to be a docile puppet state and sell out the enemy to the Allies. But your excellency... I say we will wait. I have myself promised President Roosevelt that we Siamese will continue to be loyal and silent. We will wait until we are told otherwise. Did you get the information you came after, Lieutenant? No, I, uh, Colonel Sangwan was going to give it to me before... I know the camp you are looking for, Lieutenant. I will tell you what you want to know. Japanese prison camp at Korat is only about five minutes' drive now, Lieutenant. The object of your mission ends there. We're taking a long chance, Louis. You are the one who is taking the long chance. You think it'll work, though, don't you? I can only say I hope. When I turn you over to the Japanese commander as a prisoner, there is a strong possibility you will be thrown into the same stockade as the American flyer for whom you are looking. And if I'm not, just being inside those gates will give me an opportunity to find out exactly where he is in that camp. You find him. We will attend to the rest. I hope I can count on that. Trust us. Oh! Look out there! Major Prayadipak from the Regent. I have a prisoner for Colonel Inotu. Very well. Pass. I am indeed indebted to you for bringing this prisoner to me, Major. I have brought him, Colonel Inotu, with the compliments of the Regent of Siam. Is it not to be expected, since we Siamese are the allies and the friends of the Japanese? Of course, of course. Uh, you will be cooperative and answer my questions. You understand? I don't know any answers. How did you get here? He just told you my plane crashed near the border. <coughs> I... What was your mission? How many were with you? Were you headed for a secret airport in Siam? Which one? Where is it? Who is your contact? You're crazy. I haven't any contact. I tell you, I just crashed. This I... American is going to be stubborn, I fear, Major. Give him time. He will break down. They all do. Unfortunately, they do not. The American flyer we have had interned here for some months has resisted all our efforts to obtain the truth. Is it not possible he has told you all he knows? Oh, come, come, Major. You Siamese are too trusting. Perhaps... Colonel Inotu, perhaps you are right. American, I will have you taken to the stockade where I ask you, take good look at the other flyer. Look well at him. Know that our worst fate awaits you if you do not cooperate. Sergeant. Yes, Colonel Inotu. Throw this prisoner in the stockade on the west side of the camp. I will deal with him later. I tried to hide the way I felt about being thrown together with the very man I had come all the way to Siam to find. I walked past Louis without looking at him. But out of the corner of my eye, I saw that his face was coolly impassive. Get out with you, America! It took me a couple of minutes to get used to the darkness. And then the darkness took form and I saw a figure huddled in a corner. An emaciated, bearded figure wearing an American uniform. Lieutenant Davis. What? Hmm. Who's that? 
Who are you? Friend. American. Are you all right? Can you hear me? Can you understand me? I've come to get you out of here. Uh, uh, come here closer. Let me see you. You are an American. I, I don't believe it. Colonel Inertool told me to take a good look at you. I am. Now I'd like to go back and take a good swing at him. You heard that? What, what are you doing here? Who are you? Lieutenant Berman of the OSS. General Chenault asked me to find you. Find me? Get me out of here. Listen, oh, listen. Don't talk. Don't talk. Just listen to me. He listened all right. And even in the semi-darkness, I could see the light come back into his eyes at the idea of getting out of that place. At about 7 o'clock in the evening, the Jap guard outside the stockade was changed. A new sentry brought us in some food. Here, eat this. It is the best I could do. Lum, is it really you? Oh, this is better than I hoped. The Japanese guard whose place I took was willing to pay attention to a little bribe. Japanese soldiers are so underpaid, you know. Lieutenant Davis, this is Lum, a Siamese, a friend. Can you get us out of here? We have a plan. Tonight, when the moon is low, I will turn my back and you two will make a run for it. Try to escape. I'll never make it. No, of course not. You will be shot in the attempt and killed. Uh, Sorry, Lum, I don't think much of that idea. Haven't you got any others? I have no finish. Listen, listen. I will only pretend to shoot you. You will only pretend to die. The Japanese soldier who was bribed and one other who has accepted our money will get to you quickly, stand over you. A Siamese doctor in the camp will pronounce you dead. Leave the rest to us. Oh, it won't work. It won't Lieutenant work. Davis, if the Siamese say it'll work, give them a chance. When the moon was low, at a signal from Lum, we broke out and made a run for it. Stop! Stop! Prisoners escape! When we heard the shots, we threw ourselves face down on the ground and held our breaths. Stretched out like that without moving, our eyes closed, everything that happened around us after that seemed to be a crazy dream. I will regret this, both of them. I fear Colonel Inotu. They are already sorry. Who's that, Doctor? What did you say? These Americans, Colonel Inotu. They are both very dead. Dead? What uh, shall we do with them, Colonel? I await your orders. Do with them. If they are dead, bury them, of course. Take them to the cemetery and bury them. Now that our plan has worked, Lieutenant Berman, I may as well tell you I was never sure it would turn out this successfully. (laughs) But, Louis, you did have this plane already and warming up at the cemetery. (laughs) We Siamese are eternal optimists. The graves are dug, Major. What shall we do? We will say goodbye to our friends, the Americans, first, Lum. Then we will go back and throw the dirt over the empty graves in case Colonel Inotu comes to inspect them. A plane. To get on the plane again. Out of this place. A plane going home. I pray, Lieutenant Davis, that you will both return to our land one day in happier times. I assure you of a greater welcome and far greater hospitality. And now, goodbye and a pleasant journey. 
just before we took off, Major Laudol Prayadipak presented each of us with a green velvet box. In them were cufflinks of pure gold and pounded ruby dust with the initials A.M. for the boy king Ananda Maidol and a golden crown for the mark of the dynasty. A royal present from the king of Siam. As we looked down, we could see Lum and the two bribed Jap soldiers with Louis directing operations, shoveling the dirt in over our graves. Thus, on April 18, 1944, Lieutenant Davis, the missing pilot of the Flying Tigers, was rescued from the Japanese prison camp and rejoined his unit. And once again, the report of another OSS agent closed with the words, Mission accomplished. Listen again next week for another true adventure from the files of the OSS on Cloak and Dagger. Heard in today's Cloak and Dagger adventure were Grant Richards, Everett Sloan, Ralph Bell, Barry Kroger, Raymond Edward Johnson, Eileen Heckert, Carl Weber, Martin Balsam, and Jerry Jarrett. Script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. Music was under the direction of John Gart. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Lewis G. Cowan production in association with Alfred Hollander and was under the direction and supervision of Sherman Marks. Next here, High Adventure, then the big guy. All right, that's it. That ends like that, Mike. That's it. No NBC. Uh, we're being stingy with the NBC chimes around here lately. <laughs> bong, bang, bong. <laughs> <laughs> we just did it for you. Uh, the Eyes of Buddha on Cloak and Dagger, July 2nd, 1950, an NBC broadcast. Uh, Raymond Edward Johnson who uh, was Raymond, your, your host. host, on Inner Sanctum Mystery. Um, and I got to meet him one time, years and years ago. Um, he, I think I told you the story. He was um, at one of the conventions, and he showed up in a bed. Oh, yes. It was because he had multiple sclerosis uh, later in life. And so he had MS really bad. And so he was literally bedridden, but he came to this convention with his nurse, and his voice was still strong. And so he did poetry. He was really into poetry, and his voice was amazing. Uh, He sounded just like the Raymond Edward Johnson. I remember sitting right next to the bed talking to him and then interviewing him and, you know, asking him about Inner Sanctum and all the shows. And he was just awesome to talk to he was all his mind was there it was his great mind, right yeah um there you have it cloak and dagger time now for this month in music history all right this hour is going back to 1973 i'm coming home i've done my time <laughs> tie a yellow now ribbon Tony Orlando and Dawn. That's exactly right. And do you know what the song if is about? Do you? Yes. You Soon be free. Then you'll know just what to do. If, if you still want me. If, if 
There's Dawn in the background. Old tree. Well, get on the bus. Forget about us. Put the blame on me if I don't see a yellow ribbon around the old old tree. Yeah, what a great tune. I agree. What a great tune. Just has just a flair to it. It really, really. This was his biggest hit, Tony Orlando. I mean, he's still touring. Doing this song and a couple of his other songs. I, this still, song will always be yeah, around. He's still touring. It's just something. All right, great tune. Sure. Great job. All right, when we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, join us next week for another edition of Hollywood 360. We'll begin our Christmas programming for the entire month of December. We'll present the Abbott and Costello Show, Grand Central Station, the Red Skelton Show, Let George Do It, and Phil Harrison, Alice Faye. And you know all about Phil Harris and Alice Faye. I sure do. For my co-host, Lisa Wolf, our executive producer, Mike Costella, and my crabby brother, Vince Amari. Also, Sarah Adamson. She was here, and it was great seeing her in studio. This is Carl Amari saying stay safe, be healthy, and thanks for listening. <laughs>